Robert Buettner is the nationally best-selling author of military science fiction novels best known for his Jason Wander series. With a love of classic science fiction, he draws upon his experiences as a U.S. Army intelligence officer to tell compelling stories that accurately depict the emotional experience of being a soldier. With ten novels under his belt, including his most recent release, My Enemy's Enemy, Robert has learned the ins and outs of the publishing business. And now, he's ready to share with the rest of us. To learn more about Robert's journey and making every word count, be sure to listen to today's episode of the Fearless Storyteller Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Fearless Storyteller Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Freckleton. Have you ever noticed how fear stops us from creating and sharing our best work? Join the Fearless Storyteller as we explore the heart and soul of writing stories, songs, and scripts that sell with the people who write them. Each guest has their own unique hero's journey and insights into the intersections between limiting beliefs and success. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to leave a review on your favorite podcatcher of choice. Also, be sure to check out the show notes for a link to the Patreon offerings. I've got some good ones for you. Thanks so much for being a listener and supporter of the show. Enjoy today's interview. Well, Robert Buettner, welcome to the Fearless Storyteller podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Ethan. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. And for people who may not be familiar with you, what would you like to share about yourself? Well, let's see. Um, I guess the easiest thing would be to just kind of paraphrase the, the, the latest uh, bio to uh, my latest novel. And uh, let's see. Um, I, actually, I actually started writing fiction in the 90s because I was um, uh, I was traveled. And I couldn't find, you know, so it's a lot of nights in hotel rooms and airports and on planes, and uh, and I couldn't find enough material that I liked to read. And at some point, I thought, well, I guess I could try to write something myself. And uh, that maybe seemed easy at the time, but uh, you know, after many years of trying to learn my cr- the craft, um, I realized how hard it was. But uh, eventually, uh, uh, I. Had a first novel sell. Uh, it was a Quill Award nominee uh, for the best science fiction, fantasy, and horror novel of 2004, and mm. then I was a, a Quill nominee for the best new writer of 2005. Um, since then, I've, uh, I've written now ten novels, a couple of novellas, uh, and uh, I think the last count, like nine short stories that uh, have been published and uh, and some of them have been uh, very well regarded um, best known novel is is a book called orphanage um, my latest is one is called my enemy's enemy hmm. um, the genre most of those novels have been uh, science fiction and uh, my enemy's enemy is actually more of a techno thriller alternate history Hmm. Uh, before I was writing, uh, I was a National Science Foundation Fellow in Paleontology. 
I prospected for minerals in the Sonoran Desert along the Rio Grande River. Uh, I served as an Army Intelligence Officer. I was a director of the Southwestern Legal Foundation. And I practiced law in Colorado and in 12 other states and five foreign countries. And I served as the general counsel of a unit of one of the United States' largest private companies. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done a lot of other, you know, odds and ends things that have helped me with my writing. I'm a certified underwater diver. Uh, I was elected to the Undergraduate Academic History Honorary Society Phi Alpha Theta. Uh, I've judged some some writing contests. Um, I've uh, uh, I, I've climbed some mountains in the Rockies and, and in Canada, um, and I currently live in Georgia with my family and more bicycles than a grown up needs. <laughs> so that's that's kind of who I am. Uh, my Wikipedia page is actually fairly accurate. Uh, doesn't have uh, it needs to be updated regarding my short fiction. And my website, uh, robertbutner.com, contains uh, a lot of material as well as uh, access to all uh, ways to access all my books. So, and that's that's kind of me. <laughs> well, so you've you've done a lot and worn a lot of different hats, and and uh, yeah. I wonder I'm wondering what the common link thread is between all those disparate activities common common thread i i don't know that there there is one i suppose uh, i just am one of those people who uh he's only good at the things that interest him and and i'm kind of you know i tend to tend to get interested in some things and not in others i started uh, reading science fiction when i was probably younger than most kids were were reading at all and mm-hmm. uh and I, uh, you know, I, I was reading science fiction when Mars was supposed to have canals uh, and dinosaurs didn't have feathers and, uh, and then got away from it and was more interested in the milieu that I knew, which was, uh, you know, international thrillers, uh, uh, Clancy novels, things of that nature that had to do with, uh, you know, with politics and uh, military intelligence and fields like that with which I was very familiar. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then at some point, uh, uh, well, at one point in particular, one uh, inflection point, which was 9-11. Um, and uh, like so many Americans, um, I, I don't know. I was fifty then, probably, and uh, and I. Uh, but of course, what I wanted to do was, I thought, well, I have some skills that would be would be useful. Uh, we're we're obviously going to war. Uh, it's going to be a long war. It's going to be fought by a very small percentage, a tiny percentage of the population. Mm-hmm. Most people in America have no idea anything about the military because they've blessedly been spared of any experience with it in, in the 2000s. And, uh, and I thought I could say something true about that. So I wrote it, started writing a novel. I said, where will I set this novel? And I thought, well, if I said it in any existing war, then everybody has a dog in that fight. You know, either it was, it was a, you know, it was a just war, it was an unjust war, and so on. But, well, if I said it in the future, then I can do something with that. 
there are two seminal science, military science fiction novels that uh, I don't know. Is this uh, would I be getting too um, too focused if I if I talk about a specific uh, science fiction books? There's no, one called not at all. Not at all. Okay, uh, one is uh, is is a novel called Starship Troopers by Robert Heinlein. Mm -hmm. uh, that novel was Heinlein, even though he was he was a socialist, he was a lot of things, but but he's been accused of being a, a, a Cold War militarist, and, and he kind of was because he graduated from the U.S. Naval Academy. Mm. But uh, then there was a second novel that was called *The Forever War* by uh, an author who uh, I, I actually have had the good fortune to get to know, and that's uh, Joe Haldeman. And Joe, both of those novels won the Hugo Award, the Nebula Award. Uh, *Starship Troopers* was made into a horrible movie no. uh and yeah, at least that's my opinion of it and uh and joe's uh, uh the forever war is less well known but because it's never been made into a movie but the thing was joe was drafted he was you know he's a brilliant guy uh he was a, a science uh major in college was drafted sent to vietnam got blown up still can't here out of one ear, and um, um, came back, uh, you know, less than enamored of the experience. And his novel was and totally anti-war. The officers were stupid. The war was unjust, and and that was that was the milieu in which he wrote. Mm -hmm. And I thought that there was a there, there was a, a middle ground that was the truth. And particularly in 2001, and uh, and that was that uh, that um, soldiers don't fight for flags, they don't fight against tyrants. In the end, they fight for each other, mm. and, and that basically war is an orphanage. So that became the title of the book, and it was basically a it was a first person memoir, and. Uh, it sold very quickly. I uh, mean, I got represented by an agent. That's something we might might want to touch on at some point here sure. in the discussion. Um, who uh, who who loved it? And I said, uh, "Well, if this sells," she said, "Oh, it's going to sell," and she was right. Mm. And uh, and it did very well. Made some bestseller lists. Um, the uh, publisher had insisted on a on a two book contract, and one mm -hmm. called me up and said, "I got an offer." You know, and of course, every first time author, that's it's the best news you ever had in your life. Yeah. She said, "But but there's bad news." <laughs> I said, "What's the bad news?" She said, "Well, you know, the the advance isn't that great, and the other the other uh, the other publishers haven't really responded yet, so we may want to hold off and." And uh, and she said, and the and the second thing is uh, the uh, they want two books. Mm. Said, what? I mean, I, I'm over the moon about selling one book. You know, why am I? You know, is this a trick question? I mean, of course, I'd love to write it. I actually get paid to write another book that I haven't even written yet. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and she said, no, no, no. She said, you don't understand. 
He said, they always want two books from an unpublished author, because that way, if the first one is a hit, then they bought the second one on the cheap. Mm. And I said, oh, well, I guess that's, I guess I'm supposed to feel bad about that. Uh, but uh, anyway, the uh, we took that contract, even though the other publishers hadn't really come back to us. And the reason we did that was because I'd spent a, a lifetime in the corporate world, and uh, and I knew that the the publisher that it off, offered it was Time Warner at that time. Mm-hmm. It's now Hachette, but uh, at that time it was a science fiction imprint. It was called Aspect, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Anyway, uh, at that time, there were rumors that uh, the Time Warner was going to sell off the book division, as well as the Atlanta Braves and the Atlanta Hawks. Mm-hmm. And I'd been through enough corporate sell-offs to know that as soon as that starts to crystallize, yeah. everything else just calcifies completely. Yeah. Nobody yeah. buys anything. Nobody spends any money. All they do is stand around the water cooler or whatever they stand around today and, uh, and talk about, you know, what's going to happen next. Yeah. And so I said, look, we, Winifred, I, I know you'd like to see this book go to auction and make a lot of money, but I just, I just want to get published. And so we took that offer and the rest is history. Well, the other part of the history is then it didn't, the, uh, time Warner didn't sell off that time, but about two years later, um, they did. Yeah, and that had an adverse impact on on my career, my writing uh, that turned out okay. But anyway, uh, that's a very long answer to a very short question. So I'm, I think people always like to hear that that first published story. And yeah, I think I, uh, that's kind of what I thought, too. I, I kind of know that, that yes, they, they do want to know that. Um, I might amplify on that a little bit because a, a lot of authors will say that the first question, the question they get asked the most is, where do you get your ideas? Yeah. Um, in my case, I would say maybe the second most asked question is the one from uh aspiring authors and that question is what's the silver bullet what's the gimmick you know how do i you know how do i get you know i know there's got to be a secret to this because it can't just be that you know you just worked really hard and you happen to write a book at the right time that that resonated and so on and so forth Mm. and i tell them well no that's exactly true there is no silver bullet there's a uh, I, there's an anecdote I can tell about that, and uh, uh, I was at the uh, to the idea that somehow that you know if you know the right people, it's mm-hmm. going to you're going to get published, and uh, and if you will just tell me who the right person is, then my book will be a big hit. Well, I was at the Nebula Awards uh, with one of my editors, and. Um, you know, and it's a you know cocktail hour before the dinner, and uh, and all of a sudden Jamie starts pulling me by the elbow uh, off uh, in another direction, and I'm thinking, you know, I said, you know, I've never been to Nebulas before. I, what did what did I do wrong, Jamie? I mean, you know, is my is my, did I wear the wrong tie or something? And she's, 
I said, what's, what seems to be the problem? She said, well, what the problem is that uh, uh, that couple over there on the other side of the room, uh, that's one of my coworkers and, uh, and her husband, who is a very accomplished person in his field, uh, is, uh, has uh, submitted a manuscript to us. And she says, I really, you know, uh, and I, I love her. I have to work with her every day. Uh, I, you know, I've had dinner with him. I mean, I, but I really don't want to have to tell them that, that there is no way we're going to buy that book. <laughs> so, you know, uh, y yes, yes, it may get your foot in the door that you know somebody. Uh, but, but no, it's a business and, uh, and, and, Basically, your writing, you better have compelling writing, and it better be at the right time if you're going to really uh, sell to, uh, if you're going to be, as the saying goes, New York published. I don't know how important that, that expression is uh, today. I still think most people who, who want to write and want to be published, what they want is they want to they go into a bookstore. There are mm -hmm. still bookstores out there. Um, they want to go to a bookstore and they want to see that book on the shelf with their name on it. Yeah. And uh, so I, I think that's still true. Maybe I'm wrong. I imagine it's, it's always a thrill to see. Yeah. yeah. And so I guess there's a couple links there. You know, one is you had to get an agent between the time you came up with this idea and this premise. And this idea, it sounds like you came up with, you know, a few years into having been experimenting with writing. Is that right? Yes, and that is correct. Yes, I have. So what was happening in that time period? Like, how, how were you pursuing that? And what were you doing okay. to? Uh, now, again, I'm, I'm going to preface this by saying that that the writing world has changed. This was, uh, you know, like I said, I started dabbling in trying to learn how to write mm -hmm. uh, in the late 90s. And, uh, and, and then uh, I, I did my, the manuscript that, uh, or, or started the, the book that ultimately became my first published novel uh, in, uh, shortly after 2001, after 9-11. After mm -hmm. and, uh, and I started sending it out because I had, um, well, it's going to become a very long story, but um, anyway, what I was doing in the meantime was just trying to learn how to write, which meant going to bookstores, you know, buying a lot of books about writing. Yeah. Um, fortunately, most of them, and, and reading them, and, you know, and underlying things, and, and taking them to heart. And... Uh, and uh, then the other thing I did was I, uh, well, maybe I can just explain some things about writing. This is yeah. over the years because I've, I've done, like I've gone to uh, science fiction, to the World Science Fiction Convention, and I've been asked to, uh, to uh, as, on a gratuitous basis, will you, would you volunteer to be one of the authors who will, um, it, it takes samples. People will, will pay the convention uh, to have their stuff read by a professional and, uh, and, and then to sit down and, and have a critique. 
And, uh, and so I, I did that, and, and it was a lot of work for me. And I thought, well, you know what? I ought to give these guys something that kind of distills what I learned uh, the hard way about how to be a writer. And, uh, and so I called them Robert's Rules. And, uh, and they're, they're brief, and it boils it down. And, uh, and if you want, I can share those. Absolutely. Um, Okay. Um, Robert's rules. Go ahead. Um, Yeah. Let's see. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, this is an idiosyncratic boil down of my advice to writers who are still learning. And I should say that all of us, except Mark Twain, are still learning and he's dead. So, the, basically, the first thing I would say to people who, who want to write, who want to be New York published, um, is that you have to write. If you have enough imagination to think up reasons that you can't write, mm. then you have enough imagination to actually write. That's the first thing. Mm-hmm. Second thing, rewrite. There is no good writing. There is only good rewriting. I cannot tell you how many times I have written something and thought, this is perfect, and slept on it, come back the next day and said, oh, this is really terrible. And then you have to rewrite it. Mm. Um, this third point is really, it's really three points, and I call them the three Ps. And the first P is be prolific. That means you have to write a lot of stuff. Now, yes, Margaret Mitchell took 10 years, and she birthed and raised one novel, Gone with the Wind, and she's immortal. Mm. But unless you are Margaret Mitchell, then put those stillborn novels into a banker's box um, and never look at them again and start over. the second P, I would say, is to go public. You know, you, you, need to, you need to have the guts. Even though your stuff is, you know, it's, people probably are going to have a lot to say about it that you're not going to like to hear. The best way I found to do that was to find a writer's group. Mm-hmm. Um, there are lots of them out there, some good, some bad. I happened to find an excellent one in, in Denver. Um, and actually, uh, some of the people who, who showed up were actually uh, selling writers, uh, romance writers, mostly females. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and they were, you know, it, you know, it was one of those deals where you get around a table, you bring in a 10-page sample, and if it was your turn, then you read that aloud. People critiqued it. Um, you know, and made other notations on the copies you gave them, and they gave you back the copies, and you absorbed that. And, uh, you know, and it's some days they liked it, and some days they said, this is really bad, man, and here's why. Mm. And you could learn a lot from that. You would also learn a lot from hearing what other people wrote and saying, oh, man, that's really terrible, and, and here's why it's really terrible. Mm-hmm. And then you find it uh, in, in a tactful way, you would make that point. Anyway, that's that's one way to go public. Mm. The other thing is, you know, you, and you're going to take your lumps. The second thing you do, go to a writer's conference. Um, and that'll cost you um, something to go. Uh, a lot of it will just be very demoralizing. 
uh, you'll see, you know, the big, you know, the big names who may be there. Um, but, you know, and, and you sign up and you pitch editors and agents and, you know, and you can, you can cut the desperation with a knife in those things. <laughs> yeah. It's very, it's, <laughs> it's very awkward, but um, you just have to do it. Even though it's probably not going to get you anywhere, they may tell you something that, that, that is useful. Um, so you're going to take some more lumps there. The other thing is you have to send your work out. Hmm. Now the sending the work out, uh, Ethan, can I catch about a two-minute break? I'll be right back. Yeah, absolutely. I may have to pause. Okay, just a second. All right. Uh, We're rolling. Like I said, so that's 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 the second P is go public, and the third P is you have to be persistent. Mm. Even King collected excess of seven hundred rejections before he even sold his first short story, and a lot more before he sold his first novel. And 23 publishers rejected Frank Herbert's Dune before it sold. Right. So, you know, you have to send it out and you have to take your lumps. Now, sending it out, what I, what I meant when I wrote that down was at that time, if you wanted to have a novel, uh, if you wanted to secure the services of an agent, you would send a query letter. And I, I don't know how familiar, uh, how much of this has changed. But the idea was you would send a one-page letter. And that one-page letter had to be, you know, uh, as my agency said, they said, look, we don't really, we really don't take on unpublished writers. And your query letter has to knock our socks off. Mm. And uh, I guess mine knocked their socks off. Anyway, um, uh, you would send out the query letter, uh, usually, you know, don't send us your manuscript because, you know, uh, if you do, you're going to have to also send us the postage to send it back. And in fact, you had to include a self-addressed stamped envelope for them to even send you back a, a rejection notice because mm. they, and, and, you know, and you say, well, that, that just seems kind of snotty. And, and then I asked Winifred, my, my agent, uh, I said, you know, how, how does this work? She said, well, we're, we're a two-person agency um, and uh, a very good agency, but, you know, it's very small. And they had an intern and they had a bookkeeper. And, uh, and Winifred said, and this was back in the day when you actually had to physically write a letter, type out a letter, put it in an envelope, invest in a postage stamp, send it off, enclose a self-addressed stamped envelope so they would reply to you, and then you would wait for weeks. Okay, that's how that was done. She said, we get, our little agency gets about 25,000 of those a year. Mm. We, our intern is told to reject out of hand, without even us seeing it, 90 plus percent of those submissions. The ones that get through, then we decide what we're going to do. And she said, in a good year, we will choose to offer representation to one unpublished author mm. out of 25,000. Okay. 
Now that's when it was hard to uh, to get an agent. That's when you know when it really in, it required you to be you know to do some work, some physical work. You had to really make a commitment just to go out with that stuff. Hmm. Well. Today, with electronic submissions, I'm sure you don't even get as far as the intern. There's an algorithm that uh, that tends to evaluate. I think that that number has to be in the hundreds of thousands now. <laughs> so it's tough to get an agent, folks. That's yeah. that's that's my advice there. Um, if you get a good one, and I did, um, then it's a it's a beautiful relationship, right. and. Uh, did you send the, um, my did agent, you send a query letter after you had written your manuscript and revised it? Uh, good. That's an excellent question. Um, they usually say for a first novel, make sure you've got the whole thing teed up and ready to go. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually broke that rule with Orphanage because I recognized that there might be some currency to it. Also. I, I, I told you I was in a writer's group, and it was called, uh, and, and the overall uh, organization was the Rocky Mountain Fiction Writers Association, mm -hmm. and they had a contest every year, and uh, and uh, you if for the contest, you just had to submit uh, a 10-page sample and then an outline of what the story was, mm -hmm. and then, and, and that, my entry won uh, the contest that year in the science fiction category. So I thought, well, you know, I probably should, and that's what everybody said. They said, look, you know, send it out. And I said, but I don't have the whole novel, and all the books say you have to have the whole novel written because, you know, the, the otherwise the agent will say, don't waste my time. Mm -hmm. And they said, yeah, but the thing is, what you've got that'll get you to the, that may get you to the second level is you say in your query letter that this manuscript won uh, this prestigious writing contest. Mm -hmm. and they said, no, that's not, you know, of itself, they don't really care, but they at least think, well, somebody thought this guy's writing was good. So at least you may get over that hurdle and get to the agent and, and get them to, to look at it. And that's exactly mm -hmm. what happened. Mm. So uh, that's, like I said, normally, you know, the, the, the textbook advice, the school solution is make sure you have the full novel written. Because what happens is they come back to you and they say, um, I, uh, uh, you know, I'd like to see the whole manuscript. And you say, oh, crap, I don't have a whole manuscript. <laughs> uh, and, and that's kind of what happened with Winifred. She came back and she said, well, could you send me the first hundred pages? Mm -hmm. In fact, she called me up, and that was kind of never happens, you know. I said, I mean, who is this really, you know? Uh, and and she said, well, can you send me a hundred pages? And I said, uh, well, does it does it really have to be? I mean, a hundred pages? I mean, this is a first person manuscript, so mainly, you know, you've seen like the the sample I sent, you know, ten pages, whatever it was, uh, mm -hmm. first chapter something like that. And, uh, and I said, uh, I said, but really what you want to know is you want to see whether I can sustain the voice for an extended, uh, extended manuscript. And, and she just, there was a long pause and she said, yes, yes, that's exactly right. And I think at that point she realized, 
oh, this guy actually has an idea how this thing works. Mm -hmm. And uh, and she said, no, it, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be a hundred pages. I mean, send me what you've got. I mean, I really think this is good. I really think I know we can sell this. Just send me what you've got. And so I did. And then in the meantime, I was you know I was in court three times a week at that point, and I was getting up three in the morning to to do it. But I I was able to complete a manuscript, and she sent it off and and. Uh, David Pile, who was my first editor, I think I was the first book she was ever allowed to buy uh, and when she was at Time Warner. Um, and uh, and then, of course, that didn't hurt her career at all. And uh, anyway, uh, Davy, you know, Davy liked it. And, uh, you know, it was a beautiful friendship. So, mm. so yeah. You, in terms of the feedback you got from both Winifred and then ultimately who bought your manuscript. What did you hear from them that, what was their feedback in terms of what specifically stood out, made them so sure? Um, that's a really good question too. Um, they don't really, they, you know, uh, Davey liked it. I, I mean, I know that. Um, you know, I think in in the case of this one, and it was it was a little bit unique because it was it was a first person narrative, uh, a memoir of a of a, a recently orphaned uh, uh, young man who is you know, and he's he's not a very admirable fellow. He's in high school and. He's gotten in trouble because of because of his reaction to his mother's death, and and uh, you know, and a juvenile judge offers him the option to join the join the military or go to jail, and so he chooses the military reluctantly. Mm. And uh, of course, uh, so I think, but I think it was the nature of the voice. He was. Jason's. He was witty. I mean, he tried to make him witty, and I guess. Davey thought he was, and obviously a lot of other people did who bought the book. Uh, so that was, I think, was the voice. Davey said it was mostly the voice that that first interested us. Yeah, and so uh, his worldview and yeah, his, yeah, and yeah, and, and well, the other thing was um, it goes to to style. Also, hmm. uh, I think one of the biggest compliments I ever got was uh, uh, after the first book came out, uh, it was introduced at the World Science Fiction Convention, which was in Boston that year. And, uh, and uh, I had made arrangements after, uh, after the convention. I met Davey at the convention, you know, oh boy, I get to go out to dinner with a whole bunch of other famous authors, or well, some famous authors and me, you know, and so that was really cool, and and so I took the train down from Boston and actually went to the Time Warner offices uh, uh, in uh, Manhattan, and um, and uh, as it happened, it was it was Labor Day weekend, and uh, so I got the the Waldorf Astoria was you know the rooms were going for nothing so i actually stayed at the waldorf and uh, i realized that the reason that uh, rooms were going for nothing is that on labor day weekend everyone leaves new york it's like covid-19 
The place was deserted. You couldn't find a restaurant to eat in. Mm. So uh, anyway, Davey took me out to lunch. And as we were walking back to the Waldorf from walking through the arcade there, and there was a a, a list of, uh, there was a, a, a display of, of um, books from a fine bookstore that had autographed copies of books. And there was one, uh, there was a first edition of Old, The Old Man in the Sea by Ernest Hemingway. And I said to Davy, I said, yes, nobody writes like him. And she said, well, you do. Mm. And I thought, that's, I, I still remember that. I thought that was great uh, mm. to hear that from from somebody who knew what they were talking about. So biggest compliment I think I've gotten. So. Yeah. And so, uh, that was so. That was cool. I I don't know. I think we're we may be spending a, a lot of time on on war stories here. Uh, and and if there are some specific things you'd like to ask, please fire away. Yeah. No. I, you know, everybody's got their own unique journey, and so I I think this helps um, to shape that. And you mentioned Hemingway. It sounds like you had your taste was influenced by some specific authors. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, I think what influenced me, and one thing, uh, I've been writing all my life. I mean, as a lawyer, that's basically how I made my, I mean, yeah, I was a geologist. I was a lot of other things, but um, most of the time, uh, you know, that's what, that's what lawyers do is they write. Right. And, uh, and, for example, you have to write, when you write a, a, a brief, uh, they call it a brief even though it's very long, but they call it that partly because there are strict page limits. Mm. And, uh, and most of the judges' offices by that time, word processing was a real thing. And they said, yes, this is a 15, you know, you've got a, th this, this particular category of brief, of argument, uh, has a 10-page limit. And by the way, we understand that shrinking the font to squeeze more words in, we're on to that scam. Don't mm -hmm. do it. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, so you you learned to write uh, to make every word tell, as uh, Strunk and White say in uh, in Elements of Style, those kinds of things. So I and that plus the advice that I was getting in my in my writing groups from uh, from accomplished authors, uh, you just learned to be brief. And to make every word tell, you learn things like, you know, what's the most important important word in a sentence? It's the action verb. Yeah. Okay. You know, it has to be precise. You know, it, putting a very in front of it doesn't make it the right word. Yeah. It says, you know, the difference between the right word and the almost right word is the difference between the lightning and the lightning bug. Yeah. Uh, there are so many things like that. And once you internalize those things and you just naturally write that way, then you develop a style. Mm -hmm. And uh, that happens to be the style that I've adopted. Did you now, already have that for orphanage or is that something you were kind of working into at that point? I think I had developed it by then, but it, since then it became second nature. And in fact, I think one of the things that I, in going back and looking at my books, mm. I found that I got sloppy 
as I as I wrote more. Now, mm. I'll 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 cite two several examples. I will tell you that just because I say that you should write briefly and to the point and make every word tell, um, that is not the style that so many very successful, enormously successful authors employ. Um, I read works by actually some some authors that I know, uh, and and I look at this and I say, this is, you've taken three pages, and mm-hmm. all that's happened is a guy has lit a cigar, nothing else. That, that's all there is in this in in, in these three pages here, uh, you know, and no character development, no nothing, just just verbiage. Mm-hmm. Um, however. I'm talking about, and, and I also see the same thing. I just, uh, here in the COVID times and looking for something to do, and I came across a Tom Clancy novel mm-hmm. that was written in 2000 that is 1,169 pages long. And I hadn't read Clancy in a long time. And uh, and so I said, well, this is pure gold. I have something to do. Yeah. And I started reading, and I said, um, after I got into it, I said, oh, my gosh, this uh, I, I had no idea he was so prolix. I mean, he goes on and on and on. And you say, all right, you know, you, Tom, you could have you could have done this in in two paragraphs, mm-hmm. you know, and you, you stretched it out. You padded it out to, uh, you know, uh, 10 pages. So anyway, uh, what I'm saying is. That may be a style that New York editors um, enjoy and that they they cherish. But in terms of selling and selling a lot of books, you will see that most writers, a surprising number of successful writers, do not use that style. They are very prolix. They, you know, they use, they use, uh, you know, they embellish with with adverbs when they could, instead of finding the the verb that is the correct and descriptive verb, things like that. Yeah. So, um, in other words, you know, your mileage may vary in terms of how much my advice is worth. Uh, you know, if you if you want to write another way, uh, and and that sells, hey. You know, go for it. Yeah, so. I I know some people talk a lot about taste, and everybody has their own taste. And sometimes the magic of the game is finding people who have similar taste as you do, whether it's stylistic. All said. Yeah, and it sounds well like sounds like you you definitely landed there. So, what is your what is your writing process? What has it evolved to? Where are you at now? Okay. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's a that's an interesting question too. Um, some people, uh, Joe Haldeman, for example, who, by the way, is one of those writers. You read Joe's prose, and it is it's very tight, and and that's one of the reasons I admired uh, his work so much. And, uh, and of course, I admire him and his his wife as as. Uh, wonderful people as well. But uh, uh, anyway, um, 
Gosh, I've lost. Uh, I, I got started yeah, your, thinking your about process, your process. Question. Oh, process. Yeah. Um, Joe says. Joe says you you must write every day. You know, some days it's bleep, and some days it's good. But you must write every day. Well, I I kind of don't do that. I I should. I know. Um, once I, if I have, if I'm writing on a contract, uh, then, you know, I'll puddle around for a while, uh, you know, and especially like a, uh, this last novel was uh, historical, uh, involving a lot, about half the novel set in the Second World War. And, you know, there's just so much stuff. And the problem is just to call out the stuff that you, that you're going to use, the telling anecdotes that you're going to use. Mm. And, uh, and in a case like that, though, once I get started writing, then I just, I just blast. I, I, Get up! I'm excited for it, and uh, I'm I'm up at 7 a.m. Uh, usually, and uh, and then I just write until I'm exhausted, which on a good day is 2 a.m. Mm. Uh, and then I, you know get up at seven, and I'm, I'm I'm back to it again by by 7:45, and so that's kind of how I do it once I once I'm in there. Um, I've likened my process to uh, riding a roller coaster. <laughs> um, the first part of it, you know, first part of the ride, you're just sort of click, 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 click up the, up the hill. And, and it's, you know, you, you it seems like you, you go forward one click and then you slide back two clicks. Yeah. And then finally, at some point, usually with me, maybe about page 100 out of what's going to be a 400 page book. Um, then you get to the top of the of the roller coaster, and and just in that moment, you're paused, and you can see the whole landscape, and you see the path down, uh, and and then once you once you go over the top, then it's just breakneck, and you're just you're just flying down there at 100 miles an hour. You can't get the words down fast enough, mm. uh, you know, and and so, and then all of a sudden. Then boom, it pulls into the station and it's over, and the you know, safety bar goes up, and you get off the ride. <laughs> that's kind of now that's to to complete a first draft. Yeah. In my case, um, my first draft is usually pretty clean, um, but uh, bec- and part of the reason it's clean, I'll say another thing about about the process. Mm. I find I go back and every morning. I sit down and to get myself back into the milieu, into the characters and the, you know, into the heads of the characters and, and into the, uh, into the, the setting and so forth, I just start, and at a minimum, I read the previous day's writing. Mm-hmm. Um, for the first hundred pages or so, I wind up re- starting at page one. You know, or even you know, with the with the epigram, you know, and so I will tell you that that first chapter, by the time by the time you see it in in print, that thing's been re- rewritten probably five hundred times. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty tight. Yeah. Um, and then as it goes along, you know, the, the the deeper into it you get, until you get to toward the last part, um, it tends to be uh, a little softer. Yeah. So. 
that that's some idea of how I do it. I, you know, like I said, far better authors than I do um, say you must write every day. Yeah. Second well, point. You, Go yeah. ahead. Yeah. I was just going to like before you climb onto that roller coaster, or maybe you consider this part of the ride of going up. How much like think thought have you put in, and how much work have you done, and or piddling around before you've written the first page? Okay, well, usually that's the 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 idea comes to you, and uh, and that part you just think, oh, this is perfect. This is it, you know, and you just can't get it down fast enough. And you and you you know, and it's maybe it's just a little fragment of something. Um, and then after that, then you say, yeah, this is great. This is going to be a great story. And then you say, well, wait a minute. What, what's the story? I mean, what's, what's the rest of it? Mm. And then, then it becomes a lot more difficult. And you, ex you explore as you go. I, I do. And, and frankly, this is another uh, really important point to cover, which is, um, I, I even after probably five books, I was telling uh, editors and publishers, uh, you know, I, outlining, well, I don't really outline because, well, the excitement of it is to tell the story to myself. And so if I know what's going to happen and I'm just writing it, well, that's not very exciting. That's just a slog. That's like writing a legal brief. So I don't like to do that. Mm -hmm. Well, that's probably, that was probably the, the biggest mistake in my process that I've had. Is it, um, is admitting that? <laughs> well, well, no, no, just um, not admitting it, but, yeah. but, but actually trying to write a novel that way. Mm. Um, it worked once, it worked twice, it worked, you know, I mean, it works eventually, but you, after you find out that that means you go down some blind alleys, you don't know where you want to get to, um, then, then you say, you really, I really have to outline this. And, uh, and, and now I, I realize that now I actually, I have a, I have a, you know, a, a box of, uh, with five, with a separate file for each of the chapters. Like, let's say it's a 50 chapter. I, I figure it's going to be 50 chapters. Mm. Uh, and, and I know, you know, I write down just something that says, this is what's going to happen. This is who's, this is whose head I'm going to be in or whose heads I'm going to be in. Uh, and, and this is going to happen. And then, you know, and I have those, I have those little, uh, you know, little tracy of what I'm going to be writing. Mm -hmm. So that is, you know, that, that's something that I, and I, I think it's the, by far the, the best way to write a novel, mm -hmm. writing short stories, completely different animal. Um, yeah, I, I know you uh, you had read, uh, I believe you mentioned to uh, Casey and, uh, and Griffin that you had read uh, a short story that I, I yeah, wrote I for... Uh, Noir Fatale, yeah. Yeah, yeah, in the Noir Fatale anthology. And, uh, and that was one of those things uh, where uh, Casey had asked me to write a story for that anthology, which, of course, is always flattering and always delightful. Um, an aside, uh, 
Kevin Anderson, a uh, very prolific, very successful writer who mm-hmm. I was fortunate to, he kind of mentored me a little bit. And Kevin, uh, uh, you know, uh, Kevin was um, of the opinion that you, uh, well, I, I, I'm, I'm digressing. I, I, I'm getting off the topic. Um, uh, but anyway, um, um what would you say again the question for me? Yeah, uh, I don't once know. I we get off on the topic. Uh, digressing it. I'll I'll carry us back as we need to, but you're mentioning Kevin J. Anderson and, and Yeah. Um well no, Kevin, uh yeah, well, I I guess I can I guess I can tell you. Uh the way that I came across uh, that I came into that relationship, Kevin Kevin and I both lived in, in Denver and uh I I didn't know anything about science fiction. I didn't know anything about Kevin. Uh, but I, I uh, Davey uh, Pillay, my editor, uh, first editor at uh, at Time Warner, uh, when I, you know, she said something about, um, oh, well, Kevin's going to be in town at a science fiction convention at such and such place. She didn't know where it was, but and uh, I said, oh, well, that's right, you know, between my house and my place of work. So I just popped in there one day, and uh, and Kevin was was doing a presentation, uh, you know, and and he had a bunch of um, uh, posters at that time, you know, you did posters and things like that, and he was going to be signing his posters for people and, and so on after he talked about the book, and I kind of wandered in there. I didn't even, you know, I kind of snuck into the convention, just wandered in at the hotel, and. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking through, and I started thumbing through these posters, you know, and, and Kevin came up and he said, hey, hey, pal, uh, why don't you uh, just, uh, you know, hold your horses here. I'm going to talk, and then I'm going to hand out the posters. And I said, oh, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry, you know. I, and I said, uh, you know, uh, actually, uh, you know, Davey Pele and, and, uh, and uh uh, and Jamie suggested that I stop by and say hello to you because I'm one of their new authors. And Kevin's tone changed, you know, 180 degrees. And he was, he couldn't have been nicer after that. And, and, uh, cause he realized and he's very professional and he realized that if, uh, you know, that, the, that was, you know, those were the people who, uh, who he was selling his books to, or yeah. one of the people groups he was selling to. And so after that, Kevin was just absolutely wonderful. And he, he gave me so much valuable advice and we could do, I I could talk for an hour about all the stuff that Kevin taught me. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he is, uh, he is a consummate professional. Um, and, uh, and, and he, for example, one thing he says is if somebody if somebody asks you to write, and this goes back to Casey write, asking me to write something for the Noir Fatal anthology, he said, the first words out of your mouth are going to be, yes, I'll do that. <laughs> Just then after that, that's when you start thinking about how the hell am I going to do that? Yeah. He says, always, you never turn down work, never. Yeah. <laughs> I thought oh, good advice, and I've 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 followed that advice, yeah. and uh, but uh, anyway, so Casey asked me would I write something for Noir Fatel, and I thought, well, this is going to be falling off a lot because, uh, you know, it's about 
you know, the, the, the hard-boiled, my narratives are, my, my, a lot of my dialogue is kind of like, like hard-boiled detective fiction anyway. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I have, uh, you know, from day one, I've always had strong female uh, characters in my book. Uh, they're usually stronger and cleverer than the male characters, which I find is pretty much the way life is, too. Mm. And, uh, and so I thought, this is going to be easy. And then it was just like pulling teeth, and I could not come up with a, with a story. And I was just about to tell her, you know, call Casey and say, look, uh, I need more time. And, uh, and frankly, even if I have more time, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then all of a sudden, uh, my daughter told me an anecdote, and and I thought, and, and then it just clicked. And after that, the story wrote itself in I don't know seven days or something like that. Mm. And uh, and it turned out, I believe honestly, it's the best short story I've written. And I did not write it to any formula. I I have formulas that I've used that I've fallen back on uh, to write short fiction. Uh, and they've worked, but that one was just one of those things. And uh, so you just never know how it's going to go. Yeah. How often do you try to write short stories? Uh, I I didn't. I I tried not to write short. I I think most people when they when they decide they're going to be a writer. Um, uh, don't really set out. I mean, you know, people will tell you, well, you really need to write short stories first. And then after you learn how to write a short story, then you'll be able to write a novel. Well, uh, honestly, nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to say, I am a writer of short stories. They want to say, I wrote a novel and here's my book. Yeah. And that's kind of where I was. Yeah. And uh, and so I, I kind of started trying to learn how to write a novel try to write a novel, try to write seven more novels, you know, before you finally get it right, at least write enough. And, uh, and so then, then when I started writing for, for Bain books, uh, Bain's, part of Bain's process is that when you have a new book coming out, they will ask you and they will pay you to write a short story that's set in that universe uh, or has something to do with has some tie to that novel. Yeah. So that was how, well, then too also kind of thing. uh, It's well, it's not, yeah, it's, it's what they call Bain free stories. And uh, so a lot of my uh, short story fiction and some of some of my best fiction um, is, uh, is available on their website. Uh, You know, Bain, Bain free stories volume for, 2015, 2016, 2017, so on. You'll find a, a story by me in there, and it's and it's free. Um, so that's even though I got paid for it, you know. Uh, so that's kind of how I got into it. Actually, slightly differently because uh, Tony Weisskopf, the publisher at Bain, uh, said uh, actually she was doing an anthology, and it was a military science fiction anthology with. Uh, a well-known anthologist, and uh, and and all of a sudden I get contacted by John Joseph Adams, and he says, uh, "I'd like to know if you would write a story for my an upcoming anthology." And I thought, "Oh, okay." So Tony told him, 
I've got a guy and he's got a, you know, we've signed him up to do a bunch of books. And so I'd like you to, you know, put one of his stories in our, in the anthology. And there I was. So then I had to write a short, my first short story and I had to figure out how to do it. And so I stumbled through it. Mm-hmm. And I later on, when Tony, when I said to Tony, I said, you know, that wasn't that wasn't a really very pleasant process. I'm not that happy with what I wrote. Mm-hmm. She said, uh, well, I'll send you something. And she sent me uh, an article, an excellent article about a formula for how you can write a short story. Mm. And I used that a few times. Mm. Uh, but my best short stories have not followed that, uh, have not followed that pattern. But shorts, shorts are written for a couple of reasons. Um, you know, main reason is to keep, if you're between novels, it keeps your, uh, your name out there. It gives people something of yours that they can read. Yeah. Um, and then, too, if they pick up an anthology because maybe David Weber's in it or John Ringo's in it, and they, and they pick it up for that reason, then they read your story and they say, hey, this guy's pretty good. Yeah. So that's to me. Shorts are mostly just uh, uh, their marketing tool for your long fiction. Yeah, and it, I don't. I struggle personally more with writing short stories than I do with long form narrative fiction. And yes, uh, I, I think. Yeah, I, 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 I think can. That, I can hear that. There's, you know. You know, an underlying, you probably don't believe they're the same form either. You know, I, I will tell you the, the one that, the one that uh, I've been told about, and, and it does work. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's pretty simple. Uh, the, the one that, that uh, Tony suggested to me when I said I, I have trouble with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's create a character who has a problem. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right, that sounds sounds reasonable, easy enough. Character tries to solve the problem once, fails. Mm-hmm. Character tries to fo- solve the problem twice, fails. Character tries to solve the problem the third time and succeeds, yeah. the end. Yeah. You know, and yeah, that that is a way to do it. Yeah. I'll go back to if if you don't mind, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna share one more um, of the single most reliable things, and this is one Kevin Anderson told me. Sure. Uh, people have trouble starting a uh, starting a novel, but and and so this is certainly applicable to what your first chapter of a novel must do and what you need your first page or two of a novel must do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but frankly, I find I do exactly the same thing with every chapter, with every scene. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty basic. Um, the first thing uh, that, that the single most reliable formula I employ uh, is that uh, your your novel must begin by telling us where and when am I, number one. Whose head am I in, number two. What has changed or is about to change, number three. 
all this jazz for people write for, you know, two pages, uh, and then suddenly the character wakes up and it was all a dream or something like that, and they say, oh, but it was such a, it's such a surprise then. Well, no, they're never going to get to the surprise because they're not going to keep reading. So, and, and Kevin, Kevin told me that, and, uh, and I took it to heart, and uh, it just makes so much sense. I mean, otherwise, the reader's saying, what the hell is this? Yeah. Um, you know, or, or now you hear this chapter started out, and, uh, and I don't know, I don't know who's, who's involved. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why, why I'm reading this. And, uh, and so that's just the single, single formula that I have not found any exceptions to. Mm. Um, now that's just, that's just me. Um, most of the other formulas, uh, like I've told you about, uh, about being brief, for example, those things have the exceptions are, are the rule. I mean, more people write prolix, more, more nationally best-selling authors write prolix style uh, than write terse style in my, my experience. Yeah. So. And, and these days, sometimes you're rewarded for extending your word count uh, depending oh on well yeah that, that's that's certainly uh that's certainly something to be said yeah uh, do do people you know editors don't want to buy novels by the pound but they certainly uh you know uh, the the readers do kind of tend to buy them by the pound like i mm-hmm. i mentioned that tom clancy novel yeah i was I was delighted when I, I mean, the thing is like four inches thick in mass market paperback. And I thought, this is great. This is going to keep me occupied for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so there's that. I mean, um, so why did you, why did you, um, tell me about my enemy's enemy. You mentioned it's, it's pretty much a departure in terms of genre for you. Um, did it start with, you had a premise and you, then tried to figure out what the genre was going to be, or did you kind of knowingly challenge yourself to, to try something Well, a lot of it was that, um, I mean, I started out, uh, I'd always wanted to write a story like that, and, it, and I'd kind of written some bits and pieces uh, about that, uh, about the topic, you know, and uh, uh, the more I, you know, something that's kind of top of mind every every time north korea does something then it's top of mind for everybody that uh you know nuclear there's nothing worse in most people's mind than uh you know a nuclear weapon in the wrong hands and uh and that's very reliable the other thing that i've always found was reliably fascinating are nazis Mm. i mean they're the, you know, for one thing, because the truth of them is they were, you know, you believe, you believe they did anything, you know, and, uh, and then the other thing is, um, you know, my, my ancestry, uh, my paternal ancestry is, uh, uh, you know, my somebody, uh, my great, great, great grandfather, somebody was the, was supposed to have been the mayor of Mainz, Germany, which is town on the Rhine. And, uh, you know, and I always thought, I mean, what were, what were Germans thinking? They're smart. They're, they're funny. They're nice people. Uh, what, 
what were they thinking? Well, then the more you get into it, then you, you finally figure it out. Um, I actually spent time in Germany trying to figure it out, and I got some insights, and those found their way in. But anyway, a large part of it was just that um, the novels that I had written, I wrote five novels for Hachette, and those were all um, basically it was the it was the story of this kid who wound up getting the choice of being uh, going to jail or joining the military, joins the military and winds up um, basically winning a 50-year-long war. Uh, you know, he winds up a general, and, uh, and his journey mm-hmm. uh, ended up taking five volumes to tell. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I did that, and then... Uh, at that time, Hachette was doing more, a lot more, you know, vampires and and uh, werewolves and and uh, noir uh, fantasy and and I didn't urban fantasy and I didn't really want to write any more of that and uh, and I happened to be at the World Science Fiction Convention and I was on a panel with Tony Weisskopf who I didn't really know I heck I didn't really even know who, who Bain Books was. And uh, and then after the panel, and we'd been talking about my books, and she said, uh, could I buy you lunch? And of course, you know, famous publisher wants to buy you lunch, and, and you're an author. Well, that's like, that's almost as good as selling a book or something. Yeah. So, so, so we go out to lunch, and Tony asked me why I write, and I explained to her I don't really write for the money. I'm a lawyer. I write because I just want to write a better book every time than I wrote before. Mm-hmm. And she says, well, you know, we kind of own the military science fiction genre, so uh, if you're ever interested, give me a call. <laughs> and uh, so I had wanted to do something different and no longer in the first person of that one character, which I did for five volumes. Right. Uh, didn't start out. It started out one volume. And then, as I told you, that one became two. And then uh, then, the, then the two became five. And then uh, so then I said, well, here's something. So I submitted it to Tony. And it was, uh, it, it was a, a growth for me. And, uh, but it was still, it was still in that same universe. So I wrote eight novels in that one universe and I was pretty tired of it. And I was pretty tired of keeping straight all the history that went back over the 10 years or so that I'd taken me to write those books. And so when we did the second, uh, I did another contract with Tony and, uh, at, by that time, my agent had grown old and retired, and so had her partner, and uh, I was on my own, and uh, I just said to Tony, here here are two books I'd like to write, and she said, okay, I understand. We have a lot of authors who uh, want to write something different, so I did, <laughs> and uh, and that's how I came to my, how, how I came to get to write My Enemy's Enemy. Yeah. So. Did you wait until you had her approval before you started on it? Um, well, I, I I pitched it to her. You know, I said, "Here's well, actually, what I pitched to her was an alternate history that was uh, basically what I what I knew and what I had become interested in was just was the idea, uh, you know, about nuclear weapons. The more I learned about nuclear weapons, 
the more interesting it was, and, and it was, and the more interesting it was how we came to have it, and the rest of the world didn't until they did, and uh, and and I thought that people would be interested in knowing more about that. And then at the same time, like I said, I had always been interested in the Second World War. I mean, I was born in 47. My dad served in Second World War. Everybody's dad served in the Second World War when I was growing up. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I, I, you know, I knew about it in a way that uh, uh, today nobody knows about it. I mean, what is it? Something like 60% of millennials don't know what Auschwitz was. Mm. Um, when they're asked who the belligerents were in the Second World War, they say, um, uh, let's see, Russia against the United States. No, no, that's not right. Uh, it's astonishing how ignorant people are. Yeah. So I wanted to do something about that in the hope of maybe shedding a little light there. So for all those reasons, that was uh, that was how that kind of came together, and then it evolved, and it became less of an alternate history and more of a revealed history of something that happened. Um, and uh, so I finally got to write my um, international techno thriller that I'd always wanted to write, and uh, that's kind of how that came together. Mm. And you know, a lot of it was just because... Tony and I hit it off and, you know, and we'd have lunch. She lives not too far from me and we can get together for lunch once in a while. And, uh, and then we talk about things like that, what I'm going to do next uh, and, and how things are going with, uh, with Bain. And, uh, and it just came together that way. Hmm. Usually your agent does that for you. Yeah. You, uh, you never talk business with your editor. You and your editor are just going to be best friends forever. You know, she thinks you're the next Hemingway and, and, uh, and you like to believe it. And, and that's, that's how that relationship's supposed to be. Hmm. Agent's supposed to handle the, the business end. And in my case, I didn't really care about the business end, still don't. So. Yeah. Well, you know why it sounds like you, your writing projects, um, are meaningful for you and you understand. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't do it otherwise. Uh, I was a, I was a lawyer for, like I say, 30 years. And, uh, the thing about being a lawyer, um, every room you walk into in a business context, half the people in the room think you're a lying SOB mm -hmm. and the other half think you're overcharging them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's not much fun. Yeah. Nobody ever stands in line at a science fiction convention with my book in their hand uh, so they can come up and say, you know, I read the first 10 pages of this and I didn't think was very good. They, you know, they, they talk to you because they loved your book. Yeah. And, uh, and that's really, uh, that's very rewarding. That's yeah. much more pleasant than being a lawyer, I will tell you. That makes so, sense. I mean, there's yeah, the yeah. It's you know, it's it, like I say, and especially you know, orphanage was that was that was overwhelming. Um, <laughs> the reaction to that um, because since it was a memoir that was very true, uh, it had, had very true elements. I mean, obviously, it was 
set 50 years in the future and we'd been attacked by aliens and you know so it it was you know had there was nothing true about it in that regard mm-hmm. on the other hand uh i still have people who come up to me and say you know this is i was I was a grunt in Afghanistan, and if I hadn't had your books to, you know, they were my companions, and I wouldn't have gotten through it, and could I, could I please ask you to take a selfie with me? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's, I mean, you, you know, you, you can't, you, you can't do better than that. I mean, I have, I got letters, I had guys who would send me photographs of their drill sergeant. And they'd say, "This is the this is him, isn't it? This is this is the guy that was that's the drill sergeant in your book. I know it is. You had to have had the same guy that I had, <laughs> and of course I didn't. But yeah. uh, that that was the Nate. They, you know, they were so they identified so much with the character and with the experiences. I had people. I had." officers write me from uh, from Iraq, Afghanistan, and they'd say, you know, I love your books, but the kids, you know, and they're, they're all their children. They're, they're, people think the officers don't care, but as far as they're concerned, those, those young men are the, and women are their, are their children. And they would say, the kids pass your books around from one to the other until they fall apart. And uh, you know you should you, you you should know that it it really means something to them. So those are the kinds of things that you just you know you that's worth more than than any dollars you'll ever get from writing. Yeah. So so, so what's next? What are you working on? Are excited about? Oh golly, you know um, there's a part of me I, I heard. Billy Joel, obviously, completely different, you know, level of success. Uh, You know, I don't even mean to even mention him in the same breath. But he was being interviewed, and somebody said, well, Elton John said, you know, you've done 12 albums, and uh, Elton John says you should do more. Mm. And and Joel laughed, and he said, look, um, I've had my say. I've, you know, I've, I've written pretty much everything I want to write. And, uh, and I kind of feel the same. There, there was a time about, oh, after I finished that last book, uh, My Enemy's Enemy, because it was a real slog. It was very difficult. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, and I was kind of thinking the same thing. I said, yeah, I've had my say. I've written about everything everything that I ever as a child fantasized about writing about. I've written every kind of book I want to write. Uh, I've had, you know, wonderful, the kind of success that, that I wanted to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so I, you know, I don't really need to write. Well, that lasts for a little while. And now I'm saying, oh, yeah. Yeah, that that would be great. Yeah, and then all of a sudden I, I open up the word processor and and I'm tapping on the keys. But uh, I haven't um, I haven't committed any new projects um, yet, so I probably shouldn't talk about any of the ideas I have. So That's great. And, well, not you're... because anybody's going to steal them, just because. They're just half baked. No, so. that's an exciting time. Do you 
I don't know about you, but I've heard people mention this and I'm, I feel like I'm no exception that kind of in between projects or at the beginning of the project is like maybe a little bit of doubt. Like, am I ever going to finish another book? Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. yeah. I, I, uh, I think that every, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, the expression uh, about uh, a boat owner, the happiest day is when he buys it. Uh, the two happiest days are when he buys it and when he sells it. Yeah. Uh, the happiest, the happiest day for me as an author, you know, the, when you sign the contract uh, to write the book, and the, you know, and and you're under contract to, to write a book or a series, <laughs> and then the happiest day is when you no longer have that deadline anymore. When you're, you know, when you're done, uh, because I mean, it is difficult there are days when you say I, I i how am i ever gonna how am i ever gonna get to the end of this i just don't know what to do i i have no idea i mean i've talked to authors who are very prolific and uh you know and they'll say oh man i mean i was you know i was getting getting pressure about you know i haven't heard from you on on the progress with this book that's due such and such a time and and they'll say, oh man, I, I I'm 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 lying on the living room floor, you know, uh, clutching my head in my hands and rolling back and forth and thinking, I got nothing, I got nothing. Mm. Well, that's that's a real feeling. Uh, at least it is for me. Maybe for some people. Maybe maybe the guys who write every day or the gals who write every day without fail. Maybe for them it's you know it doesn't happen, but. It happens to me every book. I just don't know what I'm going to do. I I think I'm never going to overcome it. And then finally, the light goes on, and I said, "That's that's how I get them out of that. Mm. That's how I get to the next chapter." Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that's great. Well, Robert, for people who want to know more about you, how can they find you? Oh, uh, just. Type in my name, Robert Butner, and uh, probably the first thing you'll see is is either my webpage or uh, or the Wikipedia article, mm-hmm. and um, and of course all my books are available, you know, wherever books are sold. If you can still find a real bookstore, mm-hmm. uh, or um, though. Um, Real bookstores don't really stock a lot of inventory now. They're places where you order your books, um, unless you're James Patterson. And uh, and then uh, uh, you can get them online. Of course, Amazon has them all. They're all available. Um, the, the, the actual physical books are, I think, all of them are available. Um, and then, of course, there's the Kindle uh, Kindle edition. They're all available in Kindle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then audio books. Uh, I don't think, last time I checked, there was not yet an audio book for My Enemy's Enemy. Mm-hmm. But um, otherwise, they're all available that way. And the anthologies for my short fiction. Oh, oh by the way, yeah, on the website, uh, there is a comprehensive uh, bibliography and the links. I think there's maybe one link that's not live, but all of the links in uh, in the lists of my works will take will take them to that book uh, on Amazon or or wherever else it's available. So. Awesome. Yeah, and I'll include the website in the show notes as well. Um, yeah. So uh, 
that's uh, that's yeah, that's great. I'm trying to think if there's anything. I mean, you have done a, a really, really excellent job of eliciting from me most every uh, everything that I learned over my time as a writer. Oh, uh, I, I didn't get your silver bullet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's because, like I said, there ain't none. I mean, the the silver bullet is that you just have to work at it. You do have to be a little lucky. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I, I It probably does help if for some reason you're really motivated to write something. And like I said, after 9-11, I wanted to do something, I, you know, if, well, my wife might have had something to say about it if I'd said, you know, I'm going to go and see if I can enlist, you know. Uh, but... Uh, if there's something like that, that, you know, if it happens to hit at the right time, that, that really helps. If something, if you, if you happen to have a, a manuscript or, or a story idea and you, and you're able to sell on proposal, um, about a, a novel that, that sounds like it resonates, then, you know, that's, that's the silver bullet is just, is timing is everything. Um, if there is a silver bullet, but um, other than that, I suppose I should say all this stuff about agents and, and query letters and all that uh, used to be that when people would say, I probably should make this caveat, used to be people, I would tell people who said, I want to, I've been told I can self-publish my book, mm. you know, which is probably letters from their grandfather or something like that. And I always tell them, no, you know, those are scams and you're going to wind up, they're going to tell you that with just $500 worth of editing from my expert perspective, you will be able to have a really great book here. And then if you pay, uh, we will print 5,000 copies of it mm -hmm. and then you will have them. And then you will have them in your garage until you die. All right. That's what they don't tell you. Yeah. Now, all right. That's self-publishing as it was. Now, Amazon has changed that universe completely. Um, you take Andy Weir's The Martian. The reason that book was a success is because it was out there free and like 16 million people or something read it. Some enormous number of people read it and said, this is very good. Mm. And then a publisher came back and said, well, in that case, let's offer this guy a contract. Right. And, uh, and it was a hit. And, uh, and so that, that model works today yeah, in a way that public it public for sure. As far as that. Yeah, it, it, it can work. I mean, you can get, you can be successful with self-published works. Um, the bad news about that, when I wrote first novelist not that long ago, uh, my first novel came out in November of 2004. Hmm. And, you know, the first one, at that point, I had discovered this place called Amazon, and you can buy books there and everything, and I could click on it. And when I went there, then down there at the bottom, it would say sales rank. And when, it, when the first 
when the page came up and then it was a real cover and everything and I was so excited about it and I would check it all the time and the sales rank basically because the book wasn't going to be published for six or eight months was you know you were tied for last place and tied for last place was about I think someplace between 450 and 750,000 total titles available on Amazon yeah now today I think tied for last place is something between four million and eight million. Yeah, I think it's that's because of the now. proliferation yeah. of of uh, self published works. Yeah, uh, because guess what? You know now you know you you've got you've got Grammarly, you've got Spellcheck. That was the other thing um, my agent told me. She said, "Oh, this is a, it's become a nightmare for us." Because it used to be you'd get the writing sample from the from the author. And within the first page or two pages at the most, you could tell that they, they just didn't know how to write at all. Mm-hmm. She said, now, you know, with spell check and everything else, you might have to read 50 pages before you realize this person has no idea what they're doing. <laughs> and, uh, and she said, so it's just made it more difficult for us. Yeah. So, well, so, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, I hope, uh, well, hopefully you're, I hope I've given is, you, yeah, but do me a favor and write at least one story or novel called silver bullet. You know, it's, 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 time. it's <laughs> I'll overdue. keep that in mind. I will keep that in mind. Um, yeah, that's, I think that'd be about the coronavirus or something, I suppose. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that would be a challenge, and that may stimulate that may stimulate a story. If I do, I will I will uh, certainly attribute it. So um, I don't know. Is there anything else? No, that's that's wonderful. I appreciate your time a lot, and I know. We'll okay, I I, I realize we you know you'll probably I, I've given you more more material, and that I think that's a good thing um, because that way you can. You can check out a lot of the crap and uh, and and boil it down to a. Oh, there's no crap. I just, you know, it's it's. I think there's a place for people to have a conversation and show up and be thoughtful and listen and relax. Okay, well, and enjoy your journey, and and I'm glad you were able to share yours. And oh, it was a pleasure, Ethan. It really was. It was wonderful. And uh, yeah, if you. Uh, if if you ever if you want to have uh, you want to have more conversations about about the writing process or anything else, um, I am I am always at your disposal. I enjoyed very much having the conversation. Well, I appreciate having you, Robert. Thank you so much. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Fearless Storyteller. As a reminder, any and all links can be found in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this podcast. Will you please consider leaving a review? By doing so, you'll be helping new listeners discover the Fearless Storyteller podcast.